This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberling. Hello and welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 60, the podcast that covers everything related to digital transformation, including the strategy, people, process, and technology aspects of change. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham. As always, Kyler, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you. Great to have the audience here. Thank you for listening in today. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on all the typical audio podcast platforms, and you can also watch us every Wednesday on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Um... Today's episode is going to be a great one, uh, 60, our 60th episode here today. Um, we're going to start off with a number of hot topics that Kyler's got for us, uh, ranging in a, in a variety of things, ranging from uh, trends in artificial intelligence. We're going to talk about private data and its role in aerospace and defense. We'll talk about digital transformation in multifamily businesses, how to prepare for digital disruption, as well as the new tech workforce that we're, we're seeing in the world today. And then later in the show, we're going to have two segments we're going to play uh, of other guests. Um, one is actually an interview that Kyler hosted with Teresa Richardson from the Third Stage team, talking about social awareness and company culture. Um, so really good interview that she recently had with Teresa. We're going to play you a clip from that, which is actually also featured on our uh, Digital Stratosphere podcast and on the Third Stage YouTube channel as well. But we thought that would be a good topic to show here uh, to the podcast audience as well. And then last but not least, later in the show, we'll have a returning guest. Both both guests are returning guests. Um, Teresa has been on the show a few times in the past, as well as our third segment, which is with Jed Hafer, um, who's been on the show in the past talking about emotional intelligence, organizational culture, change management, and human-type stuff. He's going to be back on the show. Um, actually, we're, we're going to play a clip that he presented at our Digital Stratosphere uh, virtual event that we hosted in, uh, in the last few weeks. And by the way, if you missed that event, you can go to stratosphere2022.com and watch the entire conference on demand. There was about, I think, 16 different um, segments or sessions that we did during that conference. But we're going to play you a clip today from Jed Hafer, who's an emotional intelligence expert, and he gave an entire presentation on emotional intelligence and really unpacked that a bit more. So we're going to play you that clip uh, later here today. But before we get to our guests here today, what are some of these hot topics you've got in mind for us, Kyler? Yeah, so we have some interesting industry hot topics. Obviously, we cover a lot of disruption when it comes to changing or transforming of business strategies with the COVID-19 pandemic. And one that we really dug into this week was um, the multifamily residential business and how that has really gone through a forced transformation. It is an interesting area of overall the business landscape because it can often be very siloed. It doesn't have a ton of vertical industry experience that you can bring from other areas, but it does have tons of opportunity for new technology. If you think through kind of 
what these multifamily units look like, say an apartment complex, typically you would go in, you would tour the apartment, you would sign the lease, and then move in. A lot of in-person interaction, right? Well, during COVID-19, they had to implement new technologies that allowed them to be able to view videos of rentals instead of actually touring them, the digital signature, an e-commerce site in, in case there's additional add-ons, those types of things. So it's about 85% of this study that I researched of multifamily real estate leaders said that they could grow revenue with additional technology. Um, so I wanted to get kind of your feedback on that, Eric, in, in the fact that utilizing things like new technology in real estate has really kind of changed the way we've consumed, not only from a leasing multifamily perspective, but also from, you know, a housing market perspective. Uh, and wanted to see if that's something that you think will continue or if it will move to one of those more back in-person experiences. Yeah, I it is interesting. I mean, and that that's one of those examples or use cases in the economy today where I think you, you're seeing these examples like you just gave where in the past, yeah, you could have been doing this all along. You could have been using technology to augment the whole experience and maybe save people's time and maybe give them an introductory view of, a, of an apartment building, as your example demonstrates. Um, but in the past, we just, for whatever reason, but we haven't done it. Maybe it's a human fear of change. Maybe it's a, a fear of lost value, or I'm not sure what it is, but there's probably a lot of different dynamics that go into play there. But to your point, the COVID, um, pandemic and, and our, you know, limitations socially that, that transpired from that has forced us to really rethink how we use technology. And that's, that's one great example. You also have, um, like in the healthcare space, it seems like telehealth is becoming a lot more common. That was a trend that was already sort of starting before, but it seems like COVID really just fast-tracked that. Um, even, you know, another example that, that comes to mind is, you know, a lot of the work we do and a lot of the work I personally do is expert witness work. So you're, you're engaging with lawyers and with courts. And even a lot of the court stuff that used to have to be in person, used to have to testify or be deposed in person now, that's still, a lot of that's still being done over Zoom and, and Microsoft Teams and virtually. And so, you know, I'll be curious to see if any of these examples or other examples out there will ever return back to normal. But I, it seems like it's not really going back to normal for a lot of these, um, a lot of these cases, I think there's probably a, uh, a middle ground where we'll end up settling where we'll still use technology, we'll leverage technology in better ways than we have in the past. But we also won't lose sight of the human interaction and the value of meeting in person occasionally and where appropriate. I think the key is just to maybe differentiate or recognize where digital can fully replace the human in-person experience and maybe other cases where it shouldn't be replacing it long-term, or maybe it's just more of an option. At least we have the flexibility to do either or. So that, that's my view of it. Yeah. Something that's been so in interesting is just the immersion of these niche systems. So for example, we call it prop tech in the real estate space. Um, we've obviously talked about fintech, all those types of things, but really the emerging of these specific systems to meet needs that were never really needs before and understanding how they can kind of catch up in a very fast timeline. Um, a lot of the real estate companies that I researched struggled with that implementation just because it's never been in their business DNA to really utilize that piece of technology. It's more been on the face-to-face -face value of relationships with their customers. So definitely a very interesting evolution that we're seeing in those spaces. Yeah. And I think what you, you see too in that, that apartment leasing example is 
you know, in a sales driven world or a sales driven industry like that, there's probably a fear, I would suspect, of, of salespeople feeling like I'm not going to build a strong of a relationship virtually, or I can't build a strong of a relationship virtually, or it's going to be more difficult, which is probably true. I, I tend to agree with that. I think there is a certain amount of relationship building that gets lost over uh, digital technologies. But I think the key there is just maybe rethinking how you build those relationships. Maybe it's not the way you viewed it in the past. Maybe there's other ways we can be building better relationships or um, supplementing what we might be losing by moving to more of a digital model. Yeah, and that that's a great segue into another industry that I've spent some time researching. Um, we call it the Department of Defense, DOD, here in the United States. Um, but this is a global kind of emergent of aerospace and defense trends when it comes to understanding how to best leverage the technology to create a data-driven approach. So for example, the Department of Defense is known for in the United States, not always being super comfortable with um, partnerships within the commercial or private industry, just because of the sensitive material and, and that type, they've usually internalized a lot of that. Um, however, they've started to create these really influential partnerships and even departments that discuss the data of commercial satellites. So if you have that type of information um, in the overall space industry, having the data to actually understand and use predictive analytics, kind of that next step in the data process to know what kind of the new frontiers are within the space area. So that commercialization, I wanted to get kind of your feedback on is I know here at Third Stage, we do a lot of work within both the public and private sector as well, um, and just talking about how they utilize that information to make defense-based or really military-based government decisions. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's another great example of how AI and how or how data in general, not not necessarily AI, but just just data in general, can be used to make better decisions, whether it's for the military or for business. Um, and and I think what we're seeing with this whole um, data movement, I guess you call it in the, in the industry right now is that, you know, organizations like the military of any given nation or any big organization or any organization for that matter is sitting typically on a huge amount of data. They have data on spreadsheets and people's heads on paper, maybe in their, maybe they're in systems. Um, but typically that data siloed, it's not consolidated. It's hard to make meaning or analysis from it. And I think that's where the big pushes and where a lot of organizations are really are, are really moving now. So military is a great example because any nation's military is going to have a lot of complexities in their data and, and being able to make use of that and to make better decisions or strategic decisions based on a lot of different data points is something that's becoming more and more of a competitive advantage for, for organizations. Absolutely. And that overall new frontier and in innovation, you know, when we talk about big data, a lot of times if we want to monitor something, you know, we're able to throw a sensor on it and that that type of thing and get those different data points. Obviously, with space, that's much more difficult to consume and analyze that raw data and predict, you know, is there an, an issue with um, some sort of they talk a lot about space junk in this article. You know, is there an issue with asteroids or how do you uh, essentially evaluate those different areas to continue to move forward um, in that new frontier of almost um, pioneering, if you will? Right. Yeah. 
And I think that's an, an interesting movement. I, I researched some of what professors were saying, and I know we, we talked um, last week um, to Christina Serrano, a professor at, at CSU, about kind of the, the new workforce within technology and the need for kind of more holistic thinking. Um, and this, this specific professor had talked about business savvy leaders need more evolution in technology. So if you are more business focused and want to go in technology, doing things like learning to code or um, having some sort of technical skill is something that needs to be included within your portfolio. But also on the other side, technology professionals need to understand the business. I think that's an interesting segue from our conversation about data because they they reference how important it is to understand data, not only from the sense of being able to calculate it, but to consume it and to make strategic decisions with it. So that rise of those abilities to do that, and I, I think that's definitely where the tech space is going as far as, you know, career assets or stakeholders in the overall um, pipeline of resourcing. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a, it's a huge, uh, you know, it's a huge discipline right now that, you know, the better organizations and individuals can be in that area. I think the, the better, better off we're going to be in the whole world of tech and digital transformation. Yeah. So I was curious when, when you hire um, new people to third stage, do you usually evaluate the technical skills or more of the business skills or a little bit of both? It's, it's a little bit of both, but I, I tend to, I, I, I shouldn't say this is a, is an overgeneralization, but I tend to lean toward the people that have the business understanding, you know, that that's more important to me. Um, although I will say as we've grown and as we as an organization have offered more services to our clients, there's been more of a demand for, for some of these technical, um, skill sets like the data science or uh, architecture and integration of systems, things like that. But if you set aside sort of those specialist sort of roles that um, are important on the technical side, um, I tend to lean more towards the business side um, more than the technology because I feel like the technology, you can learn that faster and easier than you can learn business and all the nuances that go into operations and supply chains and organizations in general and that sort of thing. Interesting. Well, good. You, you hear it first here all those candidates out there. So take note. <laughs> yeah, work, uh, the, the email address, if you're interested in, in a career in consulting, by the way, is work at thirdstage-consulting.com. We're always uh, growing our team and uh, actively looking for new team, team members. So if you fit the technical and or business profile, um, you know, third stage is one place you might want to consider. Certainly. And just on that note, I did a live stream last Friday when this episode's coming out um, with one of our consultants that is kind of um, been promoted over and over in um, the third stage role and is one of our most popular consultants, Mitch Otteson. So definitely go over to our YouTube channel and, and check that out. Um, he talks about his career path and how he kind of got to where he was. But moving on to some of our other hot topics um, that I wanted to talk about specifically in the technology, more of the emerging technologies and then the process of implementation. So I was doing some research on kind of the digital disruption and planning for that as a business. And one thing I came across as a recommendation that I wanted to run by you, and I'll read it to you word for word, is consider shorter adoption and implementation cycles. So foster incremental and agile imp implementation throughout the testing and 
execution stages. So I, I know that sometimes we do a phased implementation approach, but um, it, it's under my understanding that usually we try and make sure the technology is fully implemented in the business all at once. So I wanted to get your feedback on planning for that disruption. Can you utilize different phases of implementation or a more agile approach in to make sure that you're ready for any disruption that might come with current business climates? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, in the, the phasing, um, you know, the, the, whether we go, you know, sort of phase in technology in bits and pieces or we do a full-blown, you know, more of a big bang approach where we implement the technology all at once, um, that really comes down to, to the client's, you know, risk profile and strategy and a bunch of different variables. But it's pretty common that we, we actually, it is actually pretty common that we see phased, phased rollouts and it's pretty common that that's a, a, a better strategy for organizations that want to uh, minimize risk, especially if they're a global organization or have multiple business units, m multiple locations, or even if they have, just have multiple functions that they want to sort of ease into over time. Um, so there's there's the phasing approach, but then there's agile, which aren't necessarily one and the same, and they, they don't necessarily align perfectly. Um, agile, you know, agile is for as popular as it is right now, it can be a real problem for companies that are going through digital transformations, because oftentimes when you're going through a, a full-blown transformation and you're trying to rethink your entire business model and um, the technologies you use, you, you sort of need that big picture, complete holistic view of what it is you're going to deploy and how you're going to deploy and all that good stuff. Um, whereas Agile is more focused on, you know, let's not worry about over-defining the stuff up front or over-defining the processes and requirements up front, knowing that we're just going to put technology out there, poke holes in it, and, and let the technology evolve to fit our needs. Um, that, that can be okay when you're going to deploy the technology, but from a strategic and a planning and a design perspective, it's still important to have that upfront sort of more of that waterfall mentality to how you define the, the vision and the requirements and the business processes upfront. And then when you go deploy it, if you do deploy it in bits and pieces or more of a piecemeal phased approach, so you can certainly use some components of agile within that. Um, so I think it's really a hybrid, you know, where you sort of have to know how to pick and choose what strategies or approaches and methodologies are going to make sense for you, um, knowing that there's not necessarily just an either or answer. It could be a combination or a hybrid of, of multiple approaches. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. And uh, our next guest is a really interesting one, someone who's been on the show before in the past, who's been on talking about change management in a number of different uh, perspectives. And today, uh, we're going to have her on. We're going to play a clip of, of uh, Kyler interviewing Teresa Richardson from Third Stage Consulting. 
talking about social awareness and company culture. So let's cut it over to you, Kyler. Today, we are having a very interesting and relevant conversation with our change practitioner and business culture expert, Teresa Richardson, about social awareness and company culture. So first of all, thank you for joining me today, Teresa. Always great to have you. Absolutely. I'm very excited to be here and talk about the intangibles that really impact the tangible. So absolutely so important and so relevant kind of in the current climate that we have just around social awareness and current events. So with that, I'd love to um, know where everyone is joining us from today. So uh, if you could just go ahead and put where you're located in the chat. We are live on all social channels, so LinkedIn, YouTube, um, Twitter, and then also we can see all of your comments. So feel free to interject with any questions you might have for Teresa um, or any thoughts that you have regarding the, the conversation. So with that, let's jump in. Um, Teresa, I just kind of want to start with a baseline of how important is it for a company leadership team, executive team to just take into consideration current events, whether it's culturally, socioeconomically, all of those types of things um, to really understand what the experience is both personally and professionally for their workforce? Sure. So. You know, over the, the, the last several years, I, th I think we have been painfully aware of the impact of uh, current events or policies or even more specifically, you know, global events to how that impacts our work. Um, we always don't have enough time because we're running so quickly to, mm -hmm. to really address these things. But I think within the past few years, uh, we've been placed in a position where it like came to a grinding halt. So we needed to understand the current workspace, right? So we went from in-person to virtual, like almost overnight. So how do people interact with that new environment? We went from, you know, seeing people every day to getting emails and being less personable, less interaction you know, person to person interaction. So understanding how that works is very important, especially, you know, for a company that, you know, has more relationship type, uh, more relationship type industry um, needs. So it's, it's, it's very, very important to remember that we're all people. We're still, you know, humans, we still need to interact with each other. And when things change in our environment the way they did, uh, how do we as a company address those issues? So I think it's very, very important to, I and I've said this 10,000 and maybe two times now, but, you know, <laughs> unless our company is 99.9% .9 automated, we have people that we need to consider when we're changing things or we're making adjustments or, you know, we need to do a 180 on how we conduct business daily. So it's very, very important. Absolutely. And a, a lot of people would say, yes, I understand and have an app appetite for change management. I understand how that might affect my overall technology implementation or digital transformation project. But many times, especially leaders that become, you know, 
kind of cold to the the personal life of their employees. And I think we've seen a, a huge shift in just our overall business culture and taking to account things like benefits or remote work or family structure and those types of things. How important are those, we'll call them personal characteristics of an employee to the overall organizational culture? Well, personally, I think it's hugely important because, you know, prior to this switch, um, mm -hmm. you had a lot of interaction face to face in meetings, but you also had a lot of things like affinity groups or events or some type of sponsored um, uh, group dynamic that people engaged in with each other and when that gets removed out of your business or your professional work day or work week or whatever how are you going to address that moving forward because it might not be important to a lot of people but it's still important to the organization so you can't just shut it off and expect everyone to continue you know doing what we're doing and working you know with 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 great joy you need to you need to understand the entire realm of my business environment. Part of that has to do with, yes, I'd have a job, but we also have those humanistic, you know, characteristics that we can't forget about. We, we just, we, if you want people to do their best and be their best, we have to come to them with any type of questions of, you know, how are we doing? Is there something else we can improve on? Are you, do you still want, like, I know some companies do the Friday virtual coffee chats or what, those mm -hmm. are still kind of cool to have, you know, as part of your work week, we're, we're not robots. We, we are people and we enjoy social interaction. And in order for us to do our best, we have to be at our best. So how can we be at our best in the new environment? And if Absolutely. you don't understand that, you need to put your finger on the pulse and figure it out. And yeah. Give us a call. We'll help you out. <laughs> yeah. Some emotional intelligence skills yeah, are certainly crucial for that. Yeah, it's, it's funny you should mention that here at Third Stage, we we do have a hybrid working environment. We do have an in-person office that we haven't been to in about two years, which is pretty typical for a lot of different workplace experiences. But I've noticed just on like uh, an insecurity side, I'm like awkward now in the office with other people because I don't know, like I forget how like the office banter and the joking used to work work. So it, it definitely yeah. has an effect on you, um, even if you are an extrovert like myself that, you know, really thrives in those environments. And so I, I think that's so important to consider. Absolutely. So let's talk about some specific current events here. And I'll just precurse this with we don't have any political affiliations or, um, you know, portrait cultural affiliations um, here at Third Stage. We're just here to talk about how technology can help better our overall business climate. So when we touch on these, there's no opinions there. It's just, you know, a certain understanding of how as a leadership team and as a, a technology project team, how do you make sure you identify and are aware of these overall experiences for the employees. So something, you know, that's near and dear to my heart specifically is just the childcare. You know, we've being um, 
a remote employee and not having a lot of access to childcare or having schools that are remote learning or those types of things. So as um, a business leader, Teresa, how would you suggest working through some of those things that are more kind of vulnerable subjects that we typically wouldn't have had, you know, three years ago, those types of conversations, but now they're necessary to understand how you can create a, a productive working culture. So what would be some advice you have for managers or leaders that do have some of their employees going through a really challenging time when it comes to their children? So for me, it's important to always enlist the help of experts. Like, I mean, I don't know how to do everything. That's why I go to an expert. Mm -hmm. There are people who have specialized skills that can deal with this. A lot of companies have HR departments and they have you know, employee resource programs that you can tap into. I think those are probably the most underutilized areas of uh, an organization. You know, it's it's there when you need it. It's a nice, you know, some people don't really know exactly what, mm -hmm. what encompasses an, an employee resource group, but they're very helpful. So in terms of leadership, I would tap into the experts. I wouldn't, you know, offer advice or, uh, you know, guidance on something that you weren't trained to handle, because even with let's compare it to change management. Right. Mm -hmm. So I I can understand someone's nonverbal skill or cues mm -hmm. to see which way the conversation's going. You know, someone who doesn't have the type of training that I have and, and they don't recognize those signs, even the tone and inflection. That's a huge, huge indicator to me on which way I should go with the conversation. Do I drop it? Do I push a little harder? Do I move forward? So I would say if your company is able to have that type of resource, direct your employees there. I would include that. I would include that information in like a town hall or I would have. Um, you know, some companies have weekly meetings with departments or, you know, in, in certain areas have have that information posted. If as a leader, someone comes to you and says, hey, I have an issue. I really want to talk about it. I would just do a little bit of like investigation. What could it possibly be? And if you're not comfortable talking about it, refer them to somebody who's trained to do it. It's, it, you know, all of the things that are going on right now in the world, yes, you do have to be a leader and be there for your people, but you also have to be a leader and know that I'm not equipped to handle this. So I'm going to support you and direct you to someone who, who does have the, the training. Because again, there's a lot of things going on and you know, dealing with children and dealing with family and dealing with all of these issues. I would like to think everyone has you know a certain amount of training or understanding, but not everyone does. And I would rather have that directed to a person who's been trained and has, you know, been through these issues and led groups and conversations so they could really address it the way it needs to be addressed. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that's a, a really good piece of advice. I've never personally heard that before of, you know, bringing in HR um, experienced or, or just even more comfortable kind of in that space. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to continue this conversation right after we come back. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling, the CEO of Third Stage Consulting. And we recently hosted our Digital Stratosphere 2022 virtual event. It's three days of packed content related to digital transformation best practices, about 16 or 18 different 
workshops and different speakers that are presenting on different topics, everything you need to know about transformation. The, the bad news is you, if you miss that event, the event's over. The, the live event already happened. But the good news, if you've missed it, or even if you did attend it and you want to see replays or you want to catch the sessions you missed, you can do that now by going to stratosphere2022.com. Go to stratosphere2022.com, register. All you have to do is put in your, your name and email address, uh, just a few fields. You get immediate access to all the recordings. And the recordings cover everything from digital strategy, um, software selection, organizational change, process improvement, architecture, data migration, cloud, trends in the industry, um, how to avoid failure, some of the legal aspects to think about, contractual aspects to think about as it relates to your transformation. All that is stuff that you'll get by registering for Stratosphere 2022 Replay. And again, go to stratosphere2022.com and you can listen to all the replays of all the workshops that you might have missed at the event. So hope you check it out and uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Hello and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 60. We're here with Tyler and Teresa talking about social awareness and company culture. A lot of times we get feedback that my HR team isn't authentic. You know, they have this script, this talk track that they're supposed to say when it comes to dealing with, you know, human resourcing issues or any sort of employee feedback. How can HR teams really work to understand the the overall climate of their culture and authentically care about what the employees needs are? Oh, so that's a great question. And, you know, again, I always refer back to, am I qualified enough to deal with this? Like, I think one of the 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 tellings of a leader is. Are well is. Do I have the ability or the training or the um, composure to deal with this? As a leader, you are a servant leader. You're there to help your people. You're not there for an ego thing, right? So if I don't have the right expertise or my HR department doesn't have the right expertise, it's my responsibility as a leader of an organization um, that oversees hundreds or thousands or even five people, right? What can I do to help my team? This is not an I thing. This is a we thing. This is a team, a group. Mm -hmm. um, business is run by relationships. It's run by people. So if I need to even go outside and get an outside consultant to come in and do the work, that's my responsibility if I want to be a good a good leader to my people, if I want to be that servant leadership type. So it it, it is not, in my opinion, it's not an ego of, well, I can handle it. You know, I can do that. No, it's, am I equipped to do this properly to serve the people that I have responsibility for? And I think it takes more courage to, to admit that maybe I don't. So let me go look for it somewhere else, as opposed to try to take on everything and possibly miss an opportunity to help somebody. You know, at the end of the day, we have businesses that are run by, with, by and for people. So we can't miss the opportunity to really step up and serve them the way they deserve to be served. Well said, definitely. And when it when it comes to making your company more attractive to potential candidates, understanding and being quote unquote woke, if you will, um, that we talk about a lot, um, just to things that really matter and motivate uh, the, the personalities of your workforce. We know right now 
we're going through this great resignation, great reshuffle, you know, whatever you want to call it. Really, it's it's the employee that has kind of the power in this situation to choose where they want to go and work. And that's why you've seen a lot of companies invest in, um, you know, a, a chief culture officer or something like that, that will kind of showcase their overall um, benefits and value to the employee. So mm-hmm. if, if you were, say, a chief culture officer right now, what would be a few things that you'd be doing to make sure that you were making your organization as valuable and attractive as possible to potential candidates? So that's a great question. And uh, I just would like to say that I don't see it as like woke or whatever. I know there's a big push to kind of go down that that road, but we also have to understand the needs of every individual, not mm-hmm. just a certain group or a certain, you know, category or what have you, because if you go too much to that part, you're going to alienate a lot of other people. So what is the balance we need to find? I personally would, again, tag my HR team or some type of consultant to understand the real vibe of my company. What am I missing? What are we looking, what are you looking for to stay here? So that that is super important to me because again, you know, you have out of, you have hundreds of people working for you. You have to make sure that you're listening to the team, the group. It's not just a onesie twosie or, you know, whatever. It's how can I make my company more attractive and more inclusive? So people are coming to the job every day, feeling good about it. I want to feel good about being here. I don't want to be offended. I, I want to be valued for my work. And I personally, for me, it's, it's how, how does my company value me and my opinion? Do they listen to me? Is my contribution valuable? Are they using what I'm what I'm recommending? If they're not, do I get a response? Um, are people being respectful of one another? And I think there there is a line, you know, that we also need to make sure we we walk, but we have to make sure everyone is included. Everyone has a voice, you know. If it's survey, if it's you know a town hall, if it's an affinity group or what have you. So. You know, I've been doing this for a long time. I, I've been, you know, 40 hours a week. I've been 60 hours a week. I've been Monday through Friday, Monday through Sunday, 12, 18 hours a day. So we spent, my point is, we spent a lot of time at work, right? So we have to make sure the work environment is inclusive and comfortable for people to spend the majority of their life there, right? And it's not just this group, it's the team, it's everyone. So, I would prefer to focus on the everyone and how can we make everyone feel valued uh, and comfortable and get the best day's work that they're willing to give. Absolutely. And, you know, just humanizing your overall colleagues. Um, And and speaking of humanizing, I can hear your dog barking and my dogs have like swarmed (laughs) my desk and are at like full alert. And that's that's just, you know, a great manifestation of how working environments truly have transitioned. But people have a life, have, you know, have dogs, have children. And and those things used to be kind of taboo in the professional conversation. But I feel like now we've really gone into this, this, I mean, if you were to find a silver lining in a terrible and very, you know, challenging situation, it would be that, you know, you've humanized the people that you work with, um, really created those, I would say more lasting relationships because you kind of have those shared, um, pain points of just, you know, living and working 
um, and just trying to, you know, thrive in, in where you are. So interestingly enough, I think the next wave of, of improvement will be how do I go from virtual to a hybrid model to mm-hmm. make everyone again, enjoy what they're doing. Right. Because personally, I love remote work. I, I really yeah. want to go <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, how can I really capitalize on what we've learned over the past two years and really incorporate that into the next phase of what does my work day look like? What does my work environment look like? You know, you're going to have a lot of people who would love to go back. And then you're going to have a lot of people who just don't want to because, you know, I, I, I can't spend time with my dogs. I can take them out to the park. I can. Yeah. You know, I, if I had children, I could see my children at lunchtime. If, you know, if I had, I do have children, but they're way older and one hour has a daughter. So, you know, how, how, how can I, you know, get the, continue that connection or have the benefit of work and home environment to move forward in my career? So I think that's definitely going to be the next wave uh, companies are going to have to contend with. And, you know, if they get to like, you have to come back people are going a lot of people might be like, you know, I really enjoy what I do. So yes, yeah. I am gonna give you my resignation. I'm gonna look for a job that lets me do this. So that's gonna be the next interesting wave. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, that that speaking of waves, my next question for you that I was super interested in your feedback um, is some of the trends kind of mostly in the HR space or in the company culture space that we've seen and talked about on our sister podcast, Transformation Ground Control, which I know you've been on a variety of times, um, talked about the importance of the very clear line of feedback for employees. And I wondered if you might kind of dig into that and kind of teach us about how we can create that really clear line of, I heard you, I'm listening. Thank you for contributing to making our, our workplace better, that type of thing. One of my favorite questions, because it's easy to sweep under the rug, you know, and check the box like, Oh yeah, I did the survey. We're good. Uh, I think we're a lot of people miss the mark on that is, not showing the result of that information. So if it's, you know, I need five ideas to uh, incorporate in the business and I get, let's say 30, I pick five. Well, you have 25 other people or Mm -hmm. responses that need to be addressed. Even if it's a, you know, meeting saying, Hey, I, I, you know, we had a great turnout. It was, we had 30 responses. We picked the five, here they are, here's the implementation. And then for the rest of the 25, thank you so much. We thought, you know, these were great and possibly we can, you know, use this group at a later time. So these, we can't do it all, but give an explanation is my point. You can't just drop it and leave it. And then people are like, well, I didn't hear anything back. So why would I participate in the future? So it boils down to if you're asking me to help you, give me the respect mm-hmm. and consideration uh, of giving me an answer, right? So make sure that information is put out to the organization of the, of the people who participated. Make sure people know that, yep, this was great, but we weren't able to do this because of X, Y, and Z. You can't just leave people hanging with with no response and expect them to be engaged and want to participate in the future. That that makes a lot of sense. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to continue this conversation right after we come back. 
We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Hello and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 60. We're here with Kyler and Teresa talking about social awareness and company culture. I also wonder, we had a live stream guest, um, Dr. Um, Christina Serrano, who is a professor up at Colorado State University okay. on our ground control. And I wanted, I thought of you immediately when she was kind of talking about the psychology of digital transformation. Really fascinating subject. Highly recommend you go check out. Um, it's actually on our YouTube channel, Eric's interview with her. But she talked about the need for the individual to be motivated to change. And right. that's not something we talk about a ton. We talk about kind of the holistic view of company culture and team dynamic, but she really talked about if that individual doesn't have that overall what's in it for me or understanding of the change, that, mm -hmm. that it just simply cannot happen. And I wondered your feedback to that as a change professional. Well, I completely agree with her because even when we look at holistic and team, the team is made up of what? Individuals. <laughs> individuals. So, you know, you can't have a team without the collective. And the collective is made up of individuals. So, you know, we've discussed this many, many times as well. It's, it's that you need to tap into that what's in it for me to motivate me. And it's not just, well, what's in it for me. It's making me also aware and asking me to participate in the solution. You know, I, I know I've used this analogy 10,003 times now, or maybe, you know, four, but it's like me going into your home and moving everything around without asking your permission, without asking your feedback, and then saying, okay, Kyler, you're good. Go ahead. And you're going to look at me like, what are you talking about? You didn't ask me. You didn't tell, ask me what my issues were. You didn't ask me what I wanted. But now you want me to fully function in this environment that you created. You didn't ask me. We're not going to do this. And you're probably going to rearrange everything back to the way you wanted. So work around. But again, it's like you have to be not just look at the team. Yes, the team is made up of people, but you have to look at them being part of the conversation. You have to give them that respect, understanding, acknowledgement of, yes, we understand, we hear you. What are your ideas? I literally just had this, I, this conversation the other day um, with a young lady, and she said, you know, people are the, the higher ups, she said. They come down here and they make all these changes, and then it doesn't work, and then guess what they do? I said, hmm, do they go down to you guys and ask you why it's not working? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, well, it would have made more sense. You'd save on resources. 
time investment if you just asked them, included them in the conversation from the start. Yeah, that that certainly is is really runs rampant in corporate culture. And to me, that always made I you know I grew up in corporate culture before you know I I left and started to do consulting. So for me, it's always funny of like thinking about like that executive um, you know that came down in like his jeans and cool sneakers and like bought pizza for the team and that doesn't even know like really what team it is because yeah. <laughs> just that. That um, persona and it goes back to kind of our authenticity. And I highly recommend if anyone who's on TikTok, if you go find um, the Gen Zers that make fun of Deloitte and the bigger consulting firms, they're so funny. So <laughs> if you ever need a good digital transformation laugh, those are those are great um, pieces of content. But yeah, it it really always it it, it boggles my mind, but it, it amuses me. Uh, at the fact that people put so much time and effort into looking at a problem from their point of view, mm -hmm. as opposed to looking at it from the point of view or getting that point of view from the people who actually do the process. You know, it's again, it's to me, it's an issue possibly of, of ego, like, oh, I know how to do this. You know, oh, yeah. I, it's on the paper. It says right here. This is how you do it. No, well, <laughs> time out. Hold on. Time out. So. You know, I come from cult, uh, corporate as well, and we used, I used to work for the automotive big three. And mm -hmm. the biggest joke would be uh, when some of the engineers would be in their desks and they'd give us a paper and say, go do it. And then, you know, I'd have team leads say, okay, let's figure this out, how it's really going to work. You know, yeah. you, you sit up there and you draw your paper and then you, you don't come down here to ask us on the line. You don't include the team and then you want us to make it work. So, you know, it's little time in it'll have a great value after. Absolutely. And I, I wonder if those organizations that are so really stuck in that standardized, like the executives make the decision, the middle management is in charge of executing that decision. However, we haven't armed them or coached them through how to have these conversations. When Absolutely. I was in the corporate world, I had this manager and she was brilliant. She was so good at her job, highest performer, but a terrible manager sometimes, you know, and, th and that's the thing is she just didn't know how to yeah. have these types of conversations. Mm -hmm. And if she did, she would have been highly effective, but she yeah. put so much time into being like, you know, the, the really, um, you know, stoic executives because that's what she wanted to be yeah. um that she she forgot how to humanize her team and i would always sit there and i think you know teresa you and i are a lot of like and just seeing things for what they are and in, in these situations of like why are you doing that why are you acting that way that, like that seems so inefficient to me like if you yeah. if you just actually listen to what your employees were trying to say to you wouldn't you think that they would work a lot harder for you yeah. but you know um it's just kind of one of those things. I wonder if you think that 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 corporate structure will become kind of unraveled with yes. this labor shortage um, and, you know, just overall employees kind of saying, actually, no, I don't think I'm going to do that anymore. Uh, and, you know, it's something that we've kind of never experienced on this level and volume. Um, that's a great topic to discuss uh, because it kind of wraps into the work environment and the way it's changed in terms of logistics, right? We now have a different mindset. It's it's more, it went from, okay, now I have to figure out how to survive to I figured it out and I enjoy it. So mm -hmm. what do I need to do to keep 
the improvement going. Um, one thing I can say for my time within the auto industry is that they recognize some of these issues um, and they put a lot of us uh, young managers through uh, training. So how to have difficult conversations with people, how to, you know, lead without authority, how to how to do these different humanistic things as you stated to make sure the job get done and you respected your people. Um, again, like I said, I have a lot of training. I can see, I can hear, you know, I can just feel the room. A lot of companies may not have that level of mm -hmm. training, but they should. Um, so again, it's, it's going to be interesting to see the next wave of improvement and how we're going to interact with business because business is not the same anymore. You don't mm -hmm. have you know, some companies might want to go back to that, you know, good old structure they had before, but I can't see them retaining the top talent. I yeah. can't see, you know, the, the growth and the improvements that you'll get with really super engaged employees who feel valued. So, and again, it's, it's the question of what does feeling valued mean? It's, mm -hmm. it might be different from an affinity group. It might be, you know, X, Y, and Z, but that's the job of leadership. You know, when I was coming up into, into my career, a lot of the, the leadership was that traditional sense of leadership. Now you have servant leadership. That's mm -hmm. what the goal is. Like, I know I've had a lot of people continue to want to work for me. And it's not because, you know, I was a leader. It was because I, I cared and I listened mm -hmm. and I was that um, servant leader and I wanted to help people move on in their careers. I wasn't the type of leader that was threatened by someone who had better skills than me or knew more that I would want to like encourage it and help it and nourish it and grow. And a lot of people left me because they got promoted, but that's my job as a leader. Yeah, my job exactly. isn't to use their skills to make myself shine. My, if I want to shine, I need to sharpen my skills. My job is to create an environment where people can thrive and feel valued and get the best possible output my team can have. End of story. And that's what I did. So a lot of companies need to understand um, if you want the, the excellence and the improvements and the growth to make sure your company is moving forward, that's what you're going to need. Absolutely. And and let's talk a little bit about the technology side of things. Um, recently, in one of our ground control episodes, Eric and I talked about this new emergence of nudge technology and talking about how it um, encourages from more of a psychological standpoint, uh, end users or those, those actual frontline employees to engage with new technology. So it's almost like a bridge the gap to it's not training so much. It could be a gateway to training, but it's just an understanding of how that could optimize their overall experience. So I wondered if you thought that when we're talking about trends, that technology will come with sort of this hybrid caveat of hard technical skills, but also either these big business technologists or even platforms that can speak more like a human being and what that will look like as far as um, creating successful projects, I'll say. So yes, the, the you know, being in that, that fourth wave of the industrial revolution right now, so we're intertwining people and technology, and it's not just for a certain group anymore. It's really 
how do we become more efficient and effective? And it's really coming down to that line, right? That first line person. So I do see a lot of that technology needing to be embraced at that level. And it does need to be more inclusive of that particular area in an organization for it to be effective. So I, I do see like AI and, and, and things like that being more useful and used than not. Uh, prior to, you would look to say, okay, I, you know, the AI technology or this technology, it's for those engineers only. It's for this group only. Um, now it's being spread across the whole organization from frontline to the top. So absolutely, you're going to have certain technologies, maybe even take away some of that quote-unquote non-value added activity that an employee was doing before so we can free them up to do more valuable tasks. So, and what would you say? Um, I know we talked about this again with um, Christina from CSU to open the door to the workforce of people that might not be hard technical engineer employees, but still having that opportunity in technology like yourself. Obviously, you're incredibly intelligent and have a great background in business process and all kinds of um, different technical skills, but you still have that human side and you might just be a unicorn. I don't know, but <laughs> I'm um, a unicorn. <laughs> I still, I think that there's, especially, we even talked to um, one of the leaders at Lockheed Martin recently, and they talked about their investing in STEM programs, even starting at sixth grade. You know, yeah. these won't come into the, the workforce for decades, but they still see from their data that it's so important to do that. And I think one thing we want to do here at Third Stage is is teach our audience and and just inform our community that you can absolutely be in the technology industry and not be incredibly strong in coding or engineering or those types of things. So I'm just curious to, as to what you would say for someone that might be considering a career um, that might not have those skills. So again, I think this piggybacks nicely off of the beginning of our conversation on how industry has changed. You know, it was it's not just our physical environment, it's everything. So, you know, years ago, you could either be a lawyer or you could be a doctor or an engineer. You know, you had very boxed type of careers. Right. And you wouldn't traditionally think that a lawyer needs technology or, you know, a writer needs tech or whatever. Now we're moving to become more hybrid where you will see in the future, everyone is going to need technology. So them going back to the sixth grade or even sooner is it's where our future will be. Right. Mm -hmm. We have to get to a point where we are introducing these topics or these opportunities to everyone if we want to remain competitive. So if mm -hmm. you look at the world, the global scale, it, it would blow your mind to see when this actually starts or who's using this technology in their businesses. And maybe we are behind and we need to catch up, but we also need to make sure that whatever it is we offer, there is a level of comfort and inclusivity in it. Um, I think a lot of reasons people don't get into this is the fear factor. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know this or it's too hard for me or, you know, X, Y, and Z. So us, overcoming that objection and that fear helps to open the doors to more efficiencies, to more opportunities. Again, we have to walk away from this non-value added activity. So we can optimize our employees, develop their skills and become more competitive, not just in our industry, but on a global scale. 
I love that you attach that to a competitive advantage. Uh, you know, I, I completely agree in the fact that there is a lot of room for creatives in the technology sphere. And many times that makes whatever technology they're implementing that much easier because that human side was um, considered within the project plan. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, unless your you know, business is 99.9% automated, people are included in your work structure, your organizational structure. It's, that's just the way it is. So, you know, if, if we are introducing a technology or an opportunity and we evaluate our work stream and say, okay, we're at, you know, 80% efficiency, we have 20% non-value added work. Can you imagine the impact our teams or our product or our business would have if we were able to reduce that 20% to 10 and then make our, you know, have more value added activities and make our employees feel more, you know, useful and, and energetic about their jobs and just be like, hey, I have an idea. Like the moment you have silence is the moment you need to worry. Seriously. If I give you 10,000 crazy ideas, at least I'm willing to give you 10,000 crazy ideas. You know, five might work, whatever, but at least you have them. And, and you know, if I get to the point where, you know, I'm, I'm just not going to give you any more of my ideas, you have a problem. So how can we expand on creating this value added, you know, environment for employees to thrive and to produce and to be happy and just to become the best versions of what they want to be in our company? That's well said. You know, that complacency, that really can be the, the toxic trait of what, what will take you down as an organization. And, you know, I, the silence is deadly as um, a mom of two toddlers. When it's silent, <laughs> there is something critically uh, yeah. wrong. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and honestly, that's where you get this great resignation, right? Mm -hmm. You have people who are feeling, hey, you know, you don't want to listen to me. You don't want to capitalize on my ideas. You know, I'm, I'm trying to help. You don't want to help. Okay, I'm going to go somewhere else who will. And I'm going to probably find a better job with better pay and a better environment, et cetera, et cetera. And then what did you lose? You lost experience. You lost part of the team, which even if, like, let's just say me in, a, in an organization, if I left, that is part of the team that you just lost. Mm -hmm. So how are you going to backfill that? You're going to... You got to interview, you got to stress other employees out, you got to spend time and money on, you know, training. There's a lot of intangibles when people, when that happens, but it has a real world impact to your ROI, to your team environment, to your business as a whole. So, you know, you need to have that servant leadership mindset to really look at everything that's going on. It's not just, okay, I'm not going to listen to Teresa's ideas because I'm busy. It's like, okay, well, now she's gone. Now she's, you know, not part of that team. Now I have to overburden the other people. Now, So there's a lot of factors that go on in those decisions that a true leader will consider before making some of those choices. Absolutely. And, and something I know you talk about a lot that you touched on there was just overall purpose. Yes. And it seems as though that is really the thesis to, um, you know, lowering attrition, to making sure your employees do feel content and satisfied within their workspace, but also within a digital transformation project. If nobody understands why they're doing that, then it's, it's certainly not a huge motivator to, you know, really push to be successful. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to continue this conversation right after we come back. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control.
If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 60. We're here with Tyler and Teresa talking about social awareness and company culture. And honestly, when you look at what we're talking about and what we're proposing, it boils down to being a decent human being. Mm -hmm. Like business aside, it'll be there tomorrow. Like people are involved in what we're doing. I'm not going to go to a job and spend time away from my husband and my family to spend time away from my husband and my family. I'm there for a reason and I need to find purpose and I need to make sure that I feel valued because if I'm not feeling valued and my days are important, I'm not part of the solution. What am I here for? Like, what am mm -hmm. I doing? So that those things need to be considered when you're looking at a digital transformation, you want to make sure that it's not only the nuts and bolts, but it's the other pieces of inclusivity and do people understand and, you know, what are their questions and et cetera, et cetera, that you need to contend with. Otherwise, you know what? <laughs> Your adoption and user rates probably won't yeah. be that high. You'll have a technology that has a pretty bow on it that just spent $500 million. Yeah. That just, it's there. So what's the point? Yeah, it's completely irrelevant if it's not getting used it's you know that technical debt that we talk a lot about yeah. because that that plan and understanding the overall end game if you will um of what that's actually going to look like for the user and that experience and in our last few minutes here Teresa, i want to ask you um a difficult question uh -oh. when it comes to i know but i i know you're up for the challenge um okay Within the world right now, no matter where you're located, obviously we have a global audience. We have a global client community here at Third Stage. So we are very good at kind of chameleon into different organizations and understanding what what our role there is. Since we are in just such a, a social divisive time, it's a really difficult time to be a leader within an organization where you might have different political ideations, you might have different cultural nuances, you might have someone who's really affected by COVID-19 and someone who thinks that it's a hoax and, you know, those different, very polarizing views. How as a business leader, do you respect people's opinions, but still try and unite under a, a term of, of collective values as a business outside of all of the different noise just with in our current climate right now. So boy, you really laid I out didn't you, sister? I waited till the end so you wouldn't <laughs> hang up on me. No. <laughs> no. No, I think it's important. You know, I, I think that again, when 
when companies gravitate too far each way, you're going to miss a side. You're going to miss a side, right? So, you know, if I believe strongly one way and, and my coworker strongly believes another way, there has to be something in the middle that we can decide on, right? Um, there has to be some type of accommodation and accountability and explanation behind the decisions I'm making. So if I don't look at the whole picture and saying, okay, you know, Teresa wants this, Kyler wants this, how can we come to the middle to say we can work on this together as a group to satisfy the needs for our clients? Mm -hmm. Like we need to take a consideration into the clients as well. What are we selling? What are we producing? What service are we providing? You know, at the end of the day, if an organization doesn't produce a certain X, Y, or Z, no one gets paid. So how do we collectively hear each other, respect each other's opinions, and come to a consensus where we can move forward? So I honestly believe having those difficult conversations up front and really listening to everyone and having the dialogue and the conversation is the hard work. You know, once we get to the point of, okay, we've decided to do this, this is why these accommodations are for this side, these accommodations are for this side, and this is where in the middle we're going to meet as a team together so we can move forward as an organization. Until we do that, then we're really not going to go anywhere. We're, we're really not. So if the, the need to have some type of an affinity group or an HR person or somebody comes in, that tells me you're listening to me, Kyler. If I say, I don't feel valued and I got this and then, then and then you just come to me, well, let's talk about it. Well, are you equipped to talk to me about this or are you providing me with a resource so I can come to a decision and make a conclusion so we can move forward? There are certain steps that you have to make in order for us to move forward. And if you skip those steps, you're in trouble. So, Absolutely. And I think you hit on something that's so important um, is just that those subculture purpose mm -hmm. and values. You Absolutely. know, for example, where I live right now, we are in this huge turmoil within our, our public school district. There's the flipping of the board. The leadership has completely changed. And it's a really point of contention for our community. However, when I walk into my son's preschool class, mm -hmm. that all dissolves away. Because no matter if that parent agrees with me or agrees with someone else, or we're completely on opposite sides of the road here, we still have a shared purpose of the safety of our Absolutely. children. And I think that's something that it scales to what you were saying in, in the community. We have a shared purpose of getting paid, of being successful, of making change in our industry. And I think that's, you know, the key to that. Well, let me just say this. Like every organization has its culture. It has its systems and structures, mm -hmm. right? And we all want to be part of it and inclusive. But we can't forget we have a competitor, Next door. Yeah. Very good point. <laughs> so if we're fighting internally and, you know, this and that, our competitor could snatch up our contract. Mm -hmm. They could snatch up our clients. They could snap. So, you know, while we're doing all of this and someone takes, you know, my lunch, I'm not going to eat. So it boils down to what do we need to do as a collective to move forward? Mm -hmm to meet the needs of our clients or our consumers or, you know, whatever, because at the end of the day, we are at work to produce or to provide something, mm -hmm. you know, 
Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think that there's, you know, having that purpose around what you provide is kind of, you know, what you're, you're definitely saying here and just having that, that just overlay of respect um, within not only the leadership hierarchy, but within your peer network group too. Absolutely. Because although we are, we are, we are at work and we do need to find, you know, a balance and respect each other. At the end of the day, we're there to make money and to provide a service. Mm -hmm. If we can't do that, our competitors, you know, locally, nationally, even globally, will take our lunch. And then what is the purpose of being in an organization with no business? Absolutely. All such great insight. Um, I highly recommend if you haven't checked out Teresa's keynote from our recent Digital Stratosphere event, um, you can go to digitalstratosphere.2022.com and see that replay. It's also on our YouTube page, um, which a lot of you are streaming from right now. But Teresa, this is such great advice and we so appreciate your time and your insight and your vulnerability of just having these conversations to create a, you know, a better working culture for our client community. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Okay. Thank you, Teresa and Kyler. Great conversation. Really interesting stuff. I have a few thoughts on, on this topic here. When we come back, we're going to first take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 60. My name is Eric Kimberling. We just had Teresa Richardson and Kyler on the show talking about um, social awareness and company culture. And I think this is a really interesting topic. And again, sort of shifting gears from the technology stuff that we talked about earlier in the podcast, where we were talking about AI and digitization of some, some core fundamental business processes and, and use cases of business scenarios. Uh, but here we're talking about something a little bit more uh, intangible, I guess you'd say. It's, it's something that's harder to touch and feel. It's something that is really important to any sort of transformation. And it's also important to just any sort of organization in terms of leadership and organizational development and just organizational performance, really focusing on that culture and understanding what kind of culture it is you, you have today, where you're headed in the future. That's something that so many organizations forget about or, or lose sight of in general um, across the board, but especially when they're going through digital transformations, it's something that we, we tend to really lose sight of. And you, you kind of think back to the conversation we were happening in the opening that we were having in the opening segments where we're talking about some of those hot topics about artificial intelligence and, uh, you know, the use of data in aerospace and defense and things of that nature. And it can get really easy to get enamored with all these different technologies and to really get fixated on technology and really looking at all the different ways you can use this cool new technology and all the 
different things that the technology can do to make our business and our organization more effective. But then we lose sight of this organizational cultural piece of things. Um, we lose sight of the social awareness, all the stuff that, that Kyler and Teresa were just talking about. And that's really unfortunate because that's really, in my opinion, the, the sort of the, the secret sauce or the glue that brings a, a digital transformation together. Um, you have all these pieces out there, you know, these pieces of technologies, you have the pieces of data, you have the pieces of business processes and potential future state operational improvements, but none of that really comes together without the glue of organizational culture. And that's really that piece that's, that's so important yet overlooked. And again, the reason it's so hard for organizations and, and humans to understand why change management so, is so important is for a couple of reasons. One is because that like I mentioned before, you can't see it, touch it, or feel it. So you can see and touch the technology. You can see and touch the, uh, the solution architecture diagrams that show how the systems are going to tie together. You can even see your business processes because you can map that out. You can put you know, together a, a process flow and you can see it. You can walk out to your shop floor or out to your warehouse or out to your office space and see how people are performing their business processes and their workflows, but you can't see and touch and feel culture in the same way. And that's that's one of the biggest challenges with organizational culture and one of the biggest reasons why organizations overlook it. But one of the other things I want to mention too, you know, one of the other reasons why so many organizations overlook organizational culture is they think that their culture is fine the way it is. And oftentimes they think that they don't need to worry too much about the organizational change management because they feel like early in the transformation, they have this feeling of momentum and excitement and buy-in and support for the project. So in other words, most organizations we work with, they, they understand that our systems are broken, we're inefficient, we could be operating a lot better, um, we need to upgrade our technologies, we need to do business differently. Most organizations we work with have sort of rallied the troops behind that vision and behind that common understanding that we need to change, we need to improve things. And so that's good news in, in the organizations we work with, but the bad news is it creates this false sense of security or this false expectation that change management, therefore, is going to be easy because we've rallied the troops. Everyone's supportive of this change. People understand in general why the, the transformation is so important. But they, what they inevitably find when they get into the implementation and once you start actually deploying some of these changes is that change management is going to be really difficult. Um, you have this unintentional resistance that ends up creeping up below the surface. Uh, people start to feel threatened. They, um, they, they feel like their sense of worth is at stake or, or at risk. Um, not because anyone's telling them they're not doing a good job or they're not going to be important in the future. That's usually not it. It's usually because of some unspoken issues that arise during the implementation. And when I say issues, I mean, from the perspective of an employee, it's an issue. I'll give you an example. If, you, if I'm a uh, a long-term employee. I've been at I've been at your company now for say 20 years. I'm a, I'm a veteran. I've been doing this job since I got out of college. Um, I've built my career in this organization. I've actually added a tremendous amount of value at the organization over the years. Let's just assume. And part of that value has been to create new processes. I've created spreadsheets that I've used to manage all these different processes. I've created a tremendous amount of tribal knowledge in my head that no one else has, or or is very difficult to replicate because I've been here for 20 years. And that's all good stuff, right? I mean, I've been a key part of the success of the organization. So that's not in question. No, no one's questioning my contributions to the organization. 
But now when I cast my mind forward, I start to understand how this organization is going to look going forward. It's going to look quite a bit different. And typically it's going to look quite a bit different in a way that is going to threaten all that stuff that I take pride in, all that stuff that I've done over the last 20 years, the, the spreadsheets I've created, the tribal knowledge I've amassed, um, all, the, all the relationships that I've built that are, are so critical to me doing my job, um, you know, all the, all the processes and workflows that I've created. Now, all of a sudden, you're sort of taking that away from me. You're not trying to. It's not intentional. No one's doing this for ill-willed purposes or, or for negative reasons, but it's just part of the transformation. Now you're telling me that everything is going to sort of become centralized. You're going to automate part of my job. You're going to take away that spreadsheet. You're going to become less dependent on my tribal knowledge because now everything's sort of centralized in a core enterprise technology system, let's say. And that dynamic right there is what creates my resistance to change. Now, now my job's at stake. My whole self-worth is at stake. This is all I know. I've been at this company for 20 years and now you're taking that away from me. So yes, on one hand, I'm completely supportive of this organization. I'm completely supportive of the idea of transformation, the idea of upgrading technologies, but now it's getting super personal. Now you're, you're sort of, you're taking that stuff away from me. And that's, what's going to cause me to maybe not flat out sabotage the project, but I'm suddenly not quite as excited about this. And I'm going to dig in my heels a little bit, just as it relates to me to sort of protect and, and uh, preserve some of that value that I feel like I've created over the years. So that's just one sort of unpacked micro example of how just one person within an organization can resist change. You multiply that one person times however many hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of employees your organization might have, and you can suddenly see how resistance to change can get out of control really quickly, and it can overwhelm a transformation team that is you know, outnumbered by people that are now resisting change. And so that's why change management is so important in getting back to this whole concept of culture. That's why the culture is so important too. We've got to have that, that clear culture, that clear... Um, deliberate approach to what our culture is today and what we want that culture to be in the future. And we want to have that clear vision and a clear path for how we're going to move from where we are today, to where we're headed in the future. And again, most organizations overlook this. They don't think about culture and culture can completely undermine a project or it can enable it. If, if you focus on a, on a culture that's going to enable transformation, then it, it can, it can enable it on the flip side, on, on the inverse, Side or, or the uh, the vice versa side of it, that transformation itself can also affect your culture. And you want to make sure that that doesn't just accidentally happen to your organization. So in other words, um, you know, if you're implementing new technologies and let's just say, let's just use an example here. I'll use kind of an extreme example to paint the picture. Let's just say I'm an entrepreneurial organization or I'm part of a team that's within an entrepreneurial organization. We value flexibility. We value being nimble all that good stuff. And now we're putting in new technology that's very rigid. It's meant to standardize processes. It's meant to create for a common repeatable business process. Sounds reasonable enough. There might be a really good business reason to do that. And a lot of organizations do find that there's a really good reason to do that. But now we've unintentionally created potentially a shock to the system, a shock to our culture, because our culture was historically very flexible, entrepreneurial, nimble. Now all of a sudden we're introducing rigidity and standardization and structure that again, may be the right business answer, but you can't just expect that to flip overnight. And instead of, uh, instead of enabling a culture of more maturity and more structure and more repeatability and efficiency or whatever it is you're driving, now all of a sudden you've created even more resistance because it's been a shock to the system. It's, it's, it's too much of a cultural change and you haven't thought enough about culture and how you're gonna 
enable that culture you're trying to get to. And you're sort of hoping or, or ignoring it to the point where you, you think it's just going to happen. And when you do that, oftentimes what happens is that is the culture of your organization will reject what it is you're trying to do from a digital transformation perspective. So, you know, those are just some, you know, some examples of how change management, organizational culture can be so powerful and so such a key enabler of transformation. But when you don't do it and you don't do it well, and by the way, most organizations, most teams don't do it well, it can actually be really powerful, but in a really negative way. It can actually completely derail your entire transformation. And, and hopefully those, those couple of examples there were painted or a, a simplified picture of how, how that might be. So really good conversation. I, I enjoyed that discussion we had with Teresa talking about uh, social awareness, company culture, all that stuff's really important. And in fact, it's so important that we want to take it one step further in this episode and talk more about the people side of it. Um, last week's episode, by the way, just as a side note, we had, and Kyler mentioned this earlier in today's episode, we had Dr. Christina Sereno on the show um, who talked about sort of the psychology, I'd call it, psychology and the neuroscience of change and transformation in general. And so I'm really fascinated by this topic because there's so many nuances to it. And so we really wanted to unpack it even more this episode with Teresa and Kyler, as we just did, but also our next guest, who is Jed Hafer, who's been on the show before. And he's been on the show, um, I've interviewed him before talking about emotional intelligence. If you go back to uh, one of our earlier episodes, I think it was sometime over the summer, uh, somewhere in the maybe the 30s or the 40s, episode number 30s or 40s. Um, you'll see an episode that focused on emotional intelligence with Jed Hafer. And he's going to be back on the show today, but he's actually going to go even deeper into this concept of emotional intelligence in, in a more sort of a structured discussion in terms of a, a presentation that he gave at our Digital Stratosphere event uh, a few weeks ago, which was an online virtual conference all about digital transformation and change, change management, data, program management, process improvement, anything you can imagine related to digital transformation. We covered it in that three-day event. There was about 16 hours of uh, sessions throughout the three days. And you can actually go stream any or all of those sessions by going to stratosphere2022.com. And you can register to on demand, just go watch it right away. Um, you just enter your name, email address, and you've got, you'll get a, a link to get immediate access to those uh, sessions. But one of the sessions we're actually going to play for you in this podcast, and that was the topic of emotional intelligence. That's with Jed Hafer. And we're going to uh, get to that session here after we take a quick break. But first, we'll take a quick break, a quick time out here, and we'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling, the CEO of Third Stage Consulting, and we recently hosted our Digital Stratosphere 2022 virtual event. It's three days of packed content related to digital transformation best practices, about 16 or 18 different workshops and different speakers that are presenting on different topics, everything you need to know about transformation. The, the bad news is you, if you miss that event, the event's over. The, the live event already happened. But the good news, if you've missed it, or even if you did attend it and you want to see replays or you want to catch the sessions you missed, you can do that now by going to stratosphere2022.com. Go to stratosphere2022.com, register. All you have to do is put in your, your name and email address, uh, just a few fields. You get immediate access to all the recordings. And the recordings cover everything from digital strategy, um, software selection, organizational change, process improvement, architecture, data migration, cloud, trends in the industry, 
um, how to avoid failure, some of the legal aspects to think about, contractual aspects to think about as it relates to your transformation. All that is stuff that you'll get by registering for Stratosphere 2022 replay. And again, go to stratosphere2022.com and you can listen to all the replays of all the workshops that you might have missed at the event. So hope you check it out and uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 60. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter, as well as all the audio podcast platforms. Uh, this is the podcast, of course, it talks about digital transformation, strategy, people, process, and technology, sides of change. And speaking of the people side of change, our next guest is Jed Hafer, who's an emotional intelligence expert. He's been on the show before. I think he's been on twice before. This will be his third time on. Uh, but this time... A little bit different discussion, similar topic, similar focus, but a little bit, uh, we're going to go a little deeper and a little bit more formalized in the in the discussion here just to, to kind of let him present the whole concept of emotional intelligence and really walk through the framework that, that he has and, and sort of his experience with, with the, the topic of emotional intelligence. And the reason I like talking to Jed so much, and I'm finding this more and more in my career, by the way, in digital transformation, is that the more I can look outside the immediate world of technology and the immediate world of digital transformation and consulting, all the stuff that I've, I've sort of been in my entire career, I'm finding that there's so much to learn. There's so much cross-discipline sort of lessons that we can bring back to digital transformation. And um, just as a total side note or, or soapbox topic here, I think that's one of the problems with digital transformation is we get so myopically focused on our world of technology and consulting as it exists today. Even though the technology is changing, you know, we're evolving, we're getting huge advancements in technologies, we're not making huge advancements in the other more important parts of transformation and change. The things like change management, process improvement, the overall digital strategies, um, how we deal with people and, and uh, human behavior. None of that stuff has materially changed over the last couple of decades that I've been doing this. And so that's why I love looking outside our immediate world to other disciplines that we can take lessons from and bring back to digital transformations to make them more successful. And Jed's a really good example of this. Um, he's someone that is not a techie. He's not a consultant, or at least not a tech consultant in the way that many of you might see me or others from the third stage team. Um, he is, however, an emotional intelligence expert. And a lot of his background comes from working with children and at schools and consulting to schools on how they can improve performance for uh, primary education, secondary education, and whatnot. And so on the surface, that sounds completely unrelated to digital transformation, but what I love about talking to Jed and where I think there's huge nuggets of value and what he has to say as it relates to digital transformation is he's dealing with a lot more, I don't want to call it life and death situations necessarily, although sometimes it is life and death situations when you're dealing with schools and kids and, and their well-being. Of course, there, there are life and death situations related to that, but I'd say the stakes are a lot higher. Um, I think that's something we can all agree on. Even if it's not life and death, the stakes are higher when we're talking about the development of kids, the education of kids, um, who they're going to be as, as, as humans and as adults in the future, how they're going to contribute to society or how, what their role is going to be in society. Um, those stakes are a lot higher than an organization that is sort of limited to just their own little ecosystem, you know, in terms of whether they succeed or fail. The stakes aren't quite as high. It is, the stakes are very high to the people within the organization. And maybe their customers and key stakeholders, but 
in general, you know, maybe the stakes aren't quite as high for a lot of organizations. And so if you look at the way he views emotional intelligence and listen to this, this presentation he has, I think there's a lot there that's super relevant to any sort of change, any sort of transformation, any sort of uh, um, shifting of the needle or bending the needle to try and move the needle a certain direction as it relates to our organization, our culture, our strategy, our operations, all that good stuff. So all that being said, uh, let's listen into this conversation or this presentation that Jed had from his um, from his keynote presentation at the Digital Stratosphere Conference um, earlier this year. And again, if you want to listen to this and all the other sessions that we presented from a bunch of different speakers um, during that uh, event, you can go to stratosphere2022.com and listen out on that. So all that being said, let's jump to the presentation from Jed Hafer talking about emotional intelligence and change. The big idea here is to turn up our emotional intelligence wherever it's at. We want to turn that dial and turn it up for, for whoever's watching. And I'm going to try to give you the most simple overview of the things that I focus on when I'm trying to help individuals or organizations turn up their emotional intelligence. And uh, the, the big idea that, that we, we start with is that there's a decision ahead of time. But before I even have an interaction, I want to decide ahead of time how I want to be. Um, this is what a lot of successful uh, sports teams do. Uh, my son is a United States Marine. They always go in with a plan, right? And as a matter of fact, they have about four or five different backup plans if, if that plan, something goes awry. Uh, with human beings, sometimes we think we're just going to be there and be reactive and, and sort of hang back and see what happens. The most emotionally intelligent people that I know and the most successful people at having positive interactions with other human beings are the ones who decide ahead of time, this is how I'm going to be. And it might be a good idea to even scribble some thoughts down. How do I want to present to the other human beings that I'm interacting with, however that is? And we'll hear things like, I want to be respectful. No matter what, I want to stay respectful. I want to stay empathetic, particularly if we're going through a crisis. You know, empathy is one of those skills. I'm working for the Love and Logic Institute. Uh, I never thought of empathy as a skill. I thought mm -hmm. it was just something you either feel or you don't feel. But it turns out that conveying of sincere empathy is a really powerful skill, making people feel important and heard and valued, and especially if they're in pain, that we're, we're, well, we're rejoicing when, when they rejoice and we're mourning when they mourn. We're, we're feeling it with them. Uh, and that validation of those feelings, really great thing for especially leaders and, and people who lead teams to be able to do. Uh, too many times when we get our, our feelings hurt, part of the feeling is they didn't consider me. They didn't consider my feelings. So we're considering the other parties, the other party or parties ahead of time before we even start that interaction. And then we move. I say start with self-awareness. That's really not true. We've already started with the decision. The next step is self-awareness. Mm -hmm. Me. What's going on with me? Am I hangry today? Am I um, tired? Am I in a bad mood? And I, I always recommend uh, for, for interpersonal relationship stuff, talk to a lot of parents. Uh, let's not have these important discussions when one of us is tired, hungry, upset about something else. Uh, it's tough for parents because sometimes we don't have as much control over that timing mm -hmm. as we would like. I'm a boss, hopefully I do. Right. Uh, when am I gonna have this, this conversation that might be difficult? I wanna make sure that I'm in a good space. I wanna make sure that I have my uh, thoughts together, that I'm 
if nothing else, I'm not upset about something else. So many times when I deal with an upset person, I realize it's something that happened some other time and in some other place and involves some other person. And that's the, the wrath that I'm getting from this person right now. It doesn't even have a whole lot to do with me. Or at least I like to think that way. Yeah, and, and I'll just add, too, when we talk about that empathy, we learned that in um, our cultural keynote yesterday and from our business process that we look at across the aisle within business and have that ability to come together in communication to have empathy for, oh, this system is really hard for this person in accounting versus the experience of the person in marketing, because obviously that's my favorite department, as I mm -hmm. said yesterday. But I think that empathy is really, really valuable to understand, especially when implementing a new technology and understanding the pain points of business processes. And when we talk about empathy as a skill, we have to make sure that we're sincere there. Mm -hmm. The worst thing in the world is insincere empathy. Uh, when someone says, I know just how you feel. No, you don't. Um, it's actually the effort that we take to put ourselves in that other person's shoes so I know just how you feel is the worst thing to say if I'm trying to convey empathy. Uh, what I might say instead is, is something like, help me understand. Uh, I want to make sure I understand. It's the effort that we take to put ourselves in those, in those shoes. My grandma used to say, uh, before you judge somebody, you should walk a mile in their shoes. Yeah. Because if they're mad at you for judging them, you've got a mile head start on them and you've got their shoes. So <laughs> she was a smart lady. Yeah. She was a smart lady. <laughs> Uh, next, we're going to talk about staying interested in that other person. So again, emotionally intelligent people are able to make the other party feel, I'm interested in you. And in this, in this age, unfortunately, uh, we make the joke that we're often left to our own devices. Um, you know what kind of devices? These, yeah. the, <laughs> right? So too many times, I'm actually doing the opposite. I'm saying, yeah, yeah, I'm listening to you. And I'm sending a message that says, I'm not interested in you uh, with parents again. And I teach this to teachers and anybody who works with people uh, to do the exact opposite, to have something that you're focused on. And then when it's time to talk to that person, you actually put that thing away. Uh, I had a boss who did this. This is back in the olden days. My office was just down the hall from her. And she was the basically like the principal of the mm -hmm. school. So when kids came to see her, she'd have her door open. And she would call me when kids were on the way just so she could hang up on me, right? She would call my office phone 20 feet away. And as soon as the kids showed up in her doorway, she'd say, oh, really important conversation I have to have. And she would hang up on me and she would turn and she would make that kid feel like the most important person in the world. She was that level of intentional. Of course, it was wow. terrible for my self-esteem, <laughs> but it was great for the kids in terms of making them feel important. Absolutely. And so that's just a little trick. If, if, if people feel like you don't ever listen to them, uh, if you've ever gotten that complaint from a, from a friend or a spouse or coworker, do the opposite of what most people do is you start talking and uh, start looking at my device. Be on the device. That's easy. We all, most of us can do that one. And then put it away and, and physically turn and engage that person so that you're not just interested, but you're showing the interest. And so many times I'm like, well, I can do this. I can multitask. Um, but to how we make that person feel, again, there's an intentionality all your audience is used to hearing you say intentionality wins the day. That's a level of intentionality most people don't have. I'm going to have this thing. And, and back in the day with, with my boss, she would be scribbling on something. And if I came to talk to her, she would put it down, she would put it away, and she would physically turn 
to, to lock her eyes on me. And again, I always felt like the most important person or, or part of her day. Absolutely. And when we, we talk about this interest, when it comes to digital transformation, we talk a lot about that contract, right, between the sponsor and the end user and how we know that user adoption at the end of the day, if your people aren't using that technology, that's affecting things like ROI, that's affecting revenue. And if you are not as a, a leader or a change practitioner interested in their overall experience for software selection or understanding any pain points within this new technology, or even understanding any fear built around new technologies, automation, then if you're not totally interested in that conversation, their value level within the organization really decreases. And that's when we start to see really rippling effects within the overall business infrastructure. Such a good point. And uh, here's another little tip. Never go on and talk about emotional intelligence with someone who's better at it than you. <laughs> That's always uh, embarrassing. If you've ever been, and we were just talking about AI and things, if you've ever been on a, you've gotten a, a, a hold message mm -hmm. and it's a robot voice saying, your like call Stuart. is important to us, right? <laughs> your call is important to us. And how how important do you actually feel a lot mm -hmm. of times? And again, this some of this hits close to home because I've, I've worked for businesses and we had some kind of a, a message like that. I want to make people feel basically the opposite. Anything that's ever made you feel unimportant, like whether whether you're the end user or not, if it's made you feel like, yeah, we're just rushing over your importance very quickly, we want to do the opposite. And a lot of times it's that extra time, that extra second. If I'm listening to a conversation, it's that extra beat. Instead of quickly chiming in my thoughts that I've been thinking about, I'm going to blurt this out the first moment of dead air I get <laughs> that extra beat that says I'm really listening I'm really absorbing this stuff and even that could be a very intentional thing um, in a meeting or in a conversation or on a zoom before I blurt out my answer I'm gonna take that one extra beat that one extra second and then really um, th there's a thoughtfulness mm -hmm. to my answers rather than just oh, this is what I was thinking while you were talking right absolutely and and we talked yesterday about that, that recent video I did that said, stop saying automation. Because when you go into you know, a manufacturing floor that it, you know, employs 50 people and you start saying, I'm gonna automate this, I'm gonna automate that. And the people that, that's, it, that's their job. That's what they do on a day-to-day -day basis. And you're not being intentional as a business leader to say, even though that's gonna be automated, Jed, this is the A, B, and C, D role you're going to move into and the opportunity to expand your value within the business. Yeah, we don't wanna speed right past mm -hmm. the, the, the person aspect and, and how we make those people feel. Uh, it's, it's a perfect example of, yeah, if, I, if I'm around people and I'm talking about all the systems that are going to do all the things that we need mm -hmm. done and I completely pass right by the, the people aspect, how are those people going to feel? Even if, and many times it's pretty exciting. I mean, I've worked with companies where they worry, oh, I'm going to lose my job because I don't know how to do this thing. And now they have technology that's going to do mm -hmm. this thing. And it turns out, no, they have a new role exactly. and they love yeah. it. And it's so much more uh, stress-free or maybe not stress-free, but it's less stress. And it, it, all that anxiety, we'll, we'll talk a little bit later about, I have some thoughts on anxiety, especially when we're going through change. All that anxiety was unwarranted. But if I'm the person delivering the message, whether I'm a leader or not, if I'm delivering a message, I want to be cognizant of how I'm making 
the other person feel because we remember how things make us feel. Right? We remember how people oh, absolutely. make us feel. There's restaurants with really good food that I won't go back to because of how they made me feel. There's also places with average coffee that I can't wait to go to because of how they make me feel like the most important uh, customer they've ever had. Absolutely. And that customer impact is really what we're going for in a digital transformation, you know, to, to view ROI or anything like that. So if you do have feedback or experience, I know we have a, a lot of HR professionals, change practitioners, a, a lot of people within this community. We definitely want to have that collaborative conversation. So we're yes. going to go through a few slides here. And then I'd, I'd love to hear from you in the comments and, and give Jed, who's our emotional intelligence expert, works with this all over um, the entire country with here, here in the States. Um, so definitely a great opportunity to ask some point change questions. Okay, really interesting conversation. We're gonna take a quick break and we'll pick this up when we come back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Hello, and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 60. You can find new episodes every Wednesday. We're in the midst of a presentation from Jed Hafer talking about emotional intelligence and change. Let's jump back to it. And once again, we're deciding all of this ahead of time. And this is just two examples of, and then I've, again, I've seen this with the most, who I deem as the most successful uh, communicators when it comes to emotional intelligence. There's, there's a couple things that they definitely do. And one is, if you've ever been, maybe, I listened to a, a speech by a politician and they turned you off in about two seconds. Uh, a, a lot of times it's a lack of authenticity. You're mm -hmm. saying, you don't really mean this. You don't really believe this. You're trying to tell me what I want to hear. Uh, salespeople are notorious for this, mm -hmm. right? Salespeople are notorious for things that sound too much like a technique. You know, Kyler, when I was a uh, Kyler and you know, Kyler, and it's like, oh, they've gotten the mention of my name six times yeah. and that, you know, and they learned that in some seminar. You can just tell. And as human beings, we actually don't like it when people use techniques on us. Mm -hmm. As we sit here talking about skills that are going to make us better at this, it's okay, I think, to use skills in terms of I'm not going to just wait and see how it goes. I'm going to be more intentional. At the same time, I do not want to come across as that insincere, fake, technique-y, and I've worked with people like this too. They put in there, they put their work voice on, and they use some of their work terms, and you, you're like, you're not really like that. So ahead of time, I'm gonna to decide to be authentic. Again, this, is, this is for leaders, but it's for anybody. And I'm gonna have respectful engagement. I'm gonna have respectful communication. And usually we do better when we make a commitment with ourselves that we're gonna do that ahead of time. We don't do as well 
in the heat of the moment going, oh yeah, be, be respectful, <laughs> right? I've got to decide ahead of time. This is where I'm going to be. And as, as Eric and I talked about the weather, you know, we are kind of making the weather then a little bit. We're, we're sort of setting the tone. And it's amazing how often a conversation that may have been a difficult conversation can stay respectful because one person uh, paced, you know, set the pace for that, for that conversation. Absolutely. And I know Sam over here is saying, you know, a useful reminder is ERP is not computers. It's a people system. And that's so true. And especially when we talk about our vendor partners and the authenticity within that sales process and that professional skepticism that Eric talked about this morning and just understanding the authenticity that goes into that process and asking those right questions and communicating with your front lines. What are the processes that we need to be able to, uh, you know, integrate within this system authentically, not, you know, we're getting a new system and it's going to be the best thing on earth. You know, we're going through a change to benefit the business. So thank you, Sam, for that comment. That's a great one. And to benefit humanity, hopefully. We'll have a bigger benefit. What a great quote. Uh, ARP is not a computer system. It's a people system that just happens to run on computers. I love the way Sam says, I, I might steal that. It's okay. Yeah, well, I Sam guess if he, if he says it's okay, then it's not stealing. That yeah. Point. Sam is a guest blogger for us and a great partner. And we're going to need you to put that in Spanish as we always need you to do Sam because he's over in Spain. So I could try my, my Spanish oh, okay. is rudimentary, but I would, I would probably, yeah, I'd probably blow it. <laughs> uh, but that's just what a great, what a great quote. Uh, it's the, the tools that we use change over time. You know, we're, we're literally doing things now that we used to do with, with sticks, right? <laughs> but we're still, we're still human beings working toward a goal. And no matter what the company is, the company's still made up of people. <laughs> he says it's free. <laughs> Always a consultant. But, but we can pay if we wish. Yeah, that's thinking like a consultant. That's, that's thinking like a good consultant. Exactly. So the other thing we're deciding ahead of time is how we're going to listen. We're going to take, and this takes effort. Mm -hmm. This is bad. I mean, you're a parent, you know this. <laughs> it takes effort to listen to my kids. Uh, sometimes I feel like I spend too much time listening to them, but to make them feel heard is, again, we're meeting powerful human needs. So this gets down to like base needs that all people have, you know, food, water, shelter, uh, Netflix, you know, just the, the basic <laughs> things that we survive on. Being heard is actually a powerful human need. Having our voice um, reach someone it's literally a need. Uh, it, we, we can we can absolutely drive ourselves uh, mad if we don't feel like anyone hears us. And if you, if you think about the need to be noticed or the need to be heard, how powerful is that in social media? Absolutely. Uh, sure. Many people get on Facebook and the whole thing is, I want everybody to hear my voice or you know see my cat or whatever it is. <laughs> so we make a decision ahead of time that we're going to meet this powerful human need that people have to be heard and to to feel validated, to feel important, feel significant. We're going to meet it uh, and we decide ahead of time, I'm going to tune in and I'm not just going to listen to understand. Uh, there's the whole paraphrasing thing. Yeah. Uh, I've seen this where, and I've worked with a lot of therapists. Sure. So, uh, wait, don't take that the wrong way. I, I've worked professionally with a lot of therapists. They have, the temptation is to parrot back what the person just said. I hear you saying the temptation is to parrot back what the person just said. That's a terrible way to make someone feel heard. Uh, it is much better if I can paraphrase, I've pulled out the meaning. Mm -hmm. 
else. So you're saying it's really important as human beings that we feel heard. Paraphrase instead of parrot. So that's the listen to understand part. But even more important, what do people remember? How we make them feel. We are listening. And by the way, does listening occur over email? Yes. I know some terrible listeners, meaning I sent them an email. I asked two really specific questions, and they kind of answered one. I'm sure this has never happened in emails. They kind of answered one of the questions, completely ignored the other question, or just chose not to answer it. More likely, they read it really fast, and they didn't, just like a good listener, sift, sift through and see what the meaning is. And I'm trying to determine what's important to the asker, right? What's important to them to make sure that I, if I can, uh, make them feel understood and give them the answer. Uh, on top of that, sometimes we're just venting, right? As human beings, we're just venting. And it's pretty important. This is pretty important in relationships. Make that person feel heard. Feel understood because we were going to remember how they made us feel. Absolutely, and and we talk about this with our change practitioners that we often call organizational change management consultants, therapists, because they really are. Their job is to go into the business, listen to all of the feedback, and understand how to build out that change plan. And as we were kind of talking about yesterday, that's the insurance to make sure that your digital transformation is successful. This right here may seem like a very easy common sense piece, but if you're not listening to the team and listening to what they need in order to make that user adoption level increase, then there, there's going to be disruption within your business, whether that's the, the customers impacted, we have disruption in our distribution, or we're a loss of revenue, this is really that receptive listening skill that needs to be cultivated within that process. If you are a change manager or a therapist, okay. you've got to be a great listener. You have to be a great listener. And I think one of the barriers to that is, is impatience. So we have a we have a very hurried and impatient society mm -hmm. right now compared to even 20, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, we want to put everything in the microwave. My son, so I have a son, and see he's a big guy and likes to eat. The microwave is not fast enough. I mean, he will literally tap his foot. He'll stand in front of the microwave tapping his foot, like, come on! Not realizing how incredibly fast that is. Mm -hmm. So we want to put everything in the microwave. We want it now, we don't want to wait. And I think the best listeners tend to be more patient people, but this, again, this takes effort. It doesn't come naturally for a lot of us. We have to work at it. That extra time to hear versus the, oh, I know something to say, and we want to blurt it real fast. So once again, if I'm working on this as a skill, just an emotional intelligence skill, take a couple more seconds, breathe. The world's probably not going to stop spinning if you don't get your genius comment out there. The other thing it does for me is it helps me a little bit more time, helps me filter a little better. So maybe my answer that was going to be insensitive or or inappropriate or unintelligent. I have all kinds of thoughts like that, right? If I take a little extra time before I answer, the person's feeling heard, they're feeling more understood, and then my answer's probably gonna be better. Uh, people have some rules about emails and texts, maybe I'll return it. <laughs> or you don't hit send, at least, yeah. for a certain amount of time. Sure. At one point, I wanted to develop an app that was like oh, that. Oh, that's a good idea. That when you're, when you're texting, be careful. This is technology. Oh yeah, maybe. someone can someone can steal this just like we steal Sam's great quote. Uh, but it, it actually pauses and doesn't send for a period of time so that you don't go 
oh, you know what? I didn't think that all the way through yeah. before I before I sent it. Great listeners, don't you can't be in a rush. You can't be going. And I realize there are those people who don't get to the point, or they are not good at straining for just the uh, the facts and the important information that we might need in our business. But it's still better, I think, in the long run to make sure those people don't feel unimportant and like what they have to say is is uh, not valid. Okay, really interesting conversation. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll pick this up when we come back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 60. You can find new episodes every Wednesday. We're in the midst of a presentation from Jed Hafer talking about emotional intelligence and change. Let's jump back to it. Yeah, and we, we talked yesterday in the culture presentation about that feedback route and being intentional about that. And this is where we, we really can take the model of business process management development we map out our manufacturing process. We map out our supply chain. We should also be mapping out how we make sure that there is a feedback loop within our digital transformation projects. Because again, that is our investment to make sure that awesome process that we just established is actually being used by our people, our technology, and our processes. Mm. So, and this is so timely. We got another great comment from Sam. He said, it took me a long time to realize that even when I am right, the people who disagree with me are not necessarily wrong. Sam should write a book. I know. I'm, I'm going to need to go to Spain and hang out with this guy because I like the way he thinks a lot. Well, it's funny because I wanted to talk a little bit about disagreement mm-hmm. versus conflict. Uh, I don't have a slide for this, but I have some thoughts on because this is inevitably going to happen. If we're going through change. Certain things are inevitable, some anxiety. Mm-hmm. Some people are going to be excited. Some people are going to be fearful. And also disagreement. Disagreement okay. is inevitable. And um, one of my first times talking to Eric, we talked about this, that disagreement is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've I, I read up on the Wright brothers. Yep. And it turns out that they loved to spar and argue. And they would have some, some pretty powerful disagreements. But... They got us. They got us up in the air. Yeah, they did. And if if they never, I mean, there's no way they woke up. Even though they were brothers with a very common goal, there's no way they woke up every day on the same page. Mm-hmm. At one point, one of them had to say, "No, that's not the right way." No, that's not the right way. They were able to figure all that out enough again to, to get up in the air. So we we need to not fear that disagreement part. It's conflict, which um, I, I know someone who defines it as disagreement with negative emotions. Right? Okay. Conflict is disagreement. We've added in the sprinkle or, or 
or a big, a big dash of negative emotion. And so an emotionally intelligent person has the ability to manage their negative emotions and hopefully disagree more respectfully and ultimately productively. There's always going to be more than one idea mm -hmm. coming to the table. That's good. Mm -hmm. um, and if I have a company, I don't want, I don't want a hundred people who all think exactly the same oh, way. Sure. And I definitely don't want a hundred people who all think like me. Um, that would be actually terrifying. <laughs> but we have to be able to take a second. And there, I think there's some ego thing here. Mm -hmm. Take a second and say, okay, here's a different perspective. Do I have to view that as a threat coming into my little ego world? Or can I really listen to it? Um, you know, decide the merits of it, and can we discuss, even if we have differing or even opposing ideas, mm -hmm. can we leave out the negative emotion? That, that's a sign of a healthy company. Yeah, We can absolutely. disagree, and we're still buddies, you know? We're still getting along and have a productive work relationship versus um, what a scary thing. Any sign or hint of disagreement that people turn on each other and get nasty, and now it's not that you... There's too much of this in our society right now. You're a bad person. It's not that you have a different view of this. Uh, I have to feel like I'm a better human being than you. That means you have to be a terrible human being. Absolutely. I think that's definitely well said. Um, and then obviously <laughs> this is a, a great quote. Maybe Sam wrote it. I don't know. but Yeah, and we'll change the name at the bottom there. Uh, I was thinking about when, when an organization is going through a transformation or you know, any change, any upheaval, and it could be just what's going on in the economy, or it could be we're making changes here internally. I can kind of choose, if I'm intentional about it, I can kind of choose between some level of optimism, and I don't want to be the unrealistic Pollyanna pie in the sky, ridiculous people. I those people actually kind of annoy me, I must admit. The, per, the person who thinks everything's great no matter what. I think there was a Simpsons years ago and they were it was the halftime show and it was supposed to be like up with people and they're happy and they called it hooray for everything <laughs> so in my mind i'm always oh this is a hooray for everything person and i've been accused of being that guy because i tend to be pretty upbeat and pretty positive pretty optimistic but we have this choice between some level of optimism and some level of pessimism and or anxiety because we don't know how it's really going to go right we think we think we have a pretty good picture of how it's going to go or maybe it's completely unknown and then that's that's more anxiety right it's scarier but this the idea of this quote and I've, I've said this to people over the years and then I saw the quote and I was like, this sums it up better than I've been able to either way we have to imagine this thing that hasn't happened yet if I'm wondering how this is going to go and I'm either worried about it or optimistic about it either way I'm imagining an outcome and if I have that ability to worry and imagine this terrible future, it means I have an equal ability to imagine this going great, imagine a better outcome. Why not? Since fear we know paralyzes our, our thinking, it makes us all less productive human beings. Why not, if I have the ability to choose to a degree, why not choose the better imagined outcome, right? Why not choose the optimistic outcome Again, I, I like working with optimistic people because once in a while, I think the only reward of being a pessimist is that sometimes you're right. <laughs> and then you get to go, see, I told you that. That wasn't going to work. Yeah. You know, ERP, shmerp. See? <laughs> and you get to be right and maybe pat yourself on the back for a second. But when you're an optimist, I think you put yourself and the people around you in a way more productive state. 
and uh, I don't think I, I don't think I said this when I was on with Eric, but I uh, read different biographies of uh, athletes that were really successful, mm-hmm. like Jordan, Larry Bird, Wayne Gretzky, a whole bunch of others. And they all had, one of the things they had in common is they believed they were going to win. They believed they were going to make sure. the shot. They believed it was going to go in. They believed they were good and that, the, and that they were going to succeed. And I don't think that's a coincidence. You know, if Michael Jordan shot every free throw going, I'm not very good. This is probably going to be. He probably doesn't make nearly as many uh, shots. Thank you, Jed. That was a really interesting conversation, really interesting topic. Love the way you framed a lot of those topics and discussions and, and really dug deeper and uh, went, a, went a bit deeper into this topic, which we've had you on. We've had Jed on talking before about emotional intelligence, but I like the way we sort of went through this in a more structured uh, presentation style uh, here for today's discussion. In fact, there's a, there's a few takeaways I want to uh, touch on here when we come back from a quick break. We're going to, first of all, take that quick break and we'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling, the CEO of Third Stage Consulting. And we recently hosted our Digital Stratosphere 2022 virtual event. It's three days of packed content related to digital transformation best practices, about 16 or 18 different workshops and different speakers that are presenting on different topics, everything you need to know about transformation. The, the bad news is you, if you miss that event, the event's over. The, the live event already happened. But the good news, if you've missed it, or even if you did attend it and you want to see replays or you want to catch the sessions you missed, You can do that now by going to stratosphere2022.com. Go to stratosphere2022.com, register. All you have to do is put in your your name and email address, uh, just a few fields. You get immediate access to all the recordings. And the recordings cover everything from digital strategy, um, software selection, organizational change, process improvement, architecture, data migration, cloud, trends in the industry, um, how to avoid failure, some of the legal aspects to think about, contractual aspects to think about as it relates to your transformation. All that is stuff that you'll get by registering for Stratosphere 2022 replay. And again, go to stratosphere2022.com and you can listen to all the replays of all the workshops that you might have missed at the event. So hope you check it out and uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Well, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 60. We just had Jed Hafer on the show giving his presentation, talking about emotional intelligence and change. And uh, we're getting super deep into the change management stuff here in today's episode, which which I love. Um, and by the way, last week's episode, episode number 59, we also got deep into the um, aspect of change and change management. We had Dr. Christina Serrano on that episode talking about the psychology of change. So we really got deep into some of these similar uh, topics or themes that Jed touched on here today. Um, so be sure to check out that episode if you haven't already. Um, that was episode number 59, which was uh, last week. And in this this topic here with emotional intelligence, um, really interesting stuff. I love this topic because I think as leaders, especially in the tech space, we tend to lack that emotional intelligence at times, that emotional intelligence we need to lead people through change, to sort of translate all these moving parts of technology and data and artificial intelligence and cloud and all this stuff that it's, it's so easy to get bogged down and all this technology stuff. And the best leaders out there, the, the people that are best at leading transformations are the ones that can translate all that stuff into something meaningful and something tangible for humans, something that, that 
is realistic and pragmatic for, for humans and for the people within an organization. And so there's a couple of layers of this. One is just the general leadership. You know, when you look at transformations and why they succeed or fail, so much of that is tied to the type of leadership and the type of executive sponsorship, uh, the type of organizational leadership that, are, that is demonstrated during a transformation. All that heavily influences how successful a transformation is or isn't. And so that emotional intelligence and sort of that, that EQ component of, of being a, a good leader is super important and oftentimes gets overlooked. So you need to have that emotional intelligence to be able to lead change in general. But then when you sort of go down another layer and then you look at how an organization is impacted by change and by the overall transformation, that's where emotional intelligence is arguably even more important because now you're getting down to the individual level you're getting down to specific individual ways that people are going to be impacted. It's empathy, understanding how people's jobs are going to change. It's uh, it's it's just understanding the organizational dynamics, the culture of the organization, understanding what makes people tick, understanding how people are different, understanding if you're a multinational organization, how different national cultures might affect your organization, how different just different locations within the same nation within the same country, um, if you have multiple locations, even that sometimes will have different cultures, different subcultures that you've got to deal with. But there's so many different moving parts from a cultural and a organizational perspective that are so important. And the larger, the more multinational you are, the more locations you have, the more diverse your employee base, the more you know exponentially you're going to have these sorts of change issues and complexities that you need to deal with. And that's where that emotional intelligence becomes so important. So really important stuff from both layers, you know, from the overall leadership perspective and making sure that you're emotionally intelligent as a leader, leading the transformation and, and helping your organization through the change. But as you get down into the nuts and bolts of what the change is and how people's jobs are going to change and how they adopt new technologies, um, how they change their business processes and their way of doing things, their roles and responsibilities day to day, as you, as you get into those nuts and bolts, that emotional intelligence becomes very important as well. Um, so again, it's just a good, I'd call it sort of an anecdote to all the techie speak and all the tech stuff that we get caught up in day to day within the digital transformation space. And it really sort of brings it back down to earth, you know, brings it back down to, you know, what we as humans can consume and what we as humans can adapt to or not. And really making sure that we're, we're enabling that in, in a way that makes the most sense for our organization. So I think that's uh, some really good lessons there. And so I really appreciate having Jed on the show here today. And uh, I really appreciate uh, all the audience participation in, in, in questions and in discussion we've had here today. Um, really enjoyed these topics, and I hope you all found it helpful as well. So we're going to wrap up for the day or for this episode, but I want to remind you that we do have new episodes every Wednesday um, on whatever platform you're listening or watching today. You can find new episodes every Wednesday, uh, whether it's LinkedIn, YouTube, or one of the audio podcast platforms or Twitter or wherever you're, you're watching or listening. Be sure to uh, check us out every Wednesday. Also love to have you as a subscriber. So subscribe to our YouTube channel um, to get alerts of new notifications of this podcast, as well as other videos and content we put out. Be sure to follow us on social media as well. We put out daily um, content on social media. So be sure to check us out there. So we look forward to next time. But in the meantime, have a great rest of your week. And we'll see you next time on Transformation Ground Control. Take care and have a great week. Thank you.